This is Dollars and Change, a podcast about the intersection of business and social impact. Brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. I'm Sandy Hutt, Managing Director here at the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. We're delighted to bring you another conversation about the intersection of business and impact. Here with me today is a Wharton alumna and my collaborator on a recent report, Suzanne Beagle. Suzanne is the founder of Catalyst at Large Consulting and co-founder of the Gender Smart Investing Summit. Welcome, Suzanne. Thanks, Sandy. So great to be here with you today. Great to continue our many conversations on the subject of gender lens investing. As I teased a little bit there, we are here to discuss a gender lens investing report that recently launched a collaboration between all of us at the Wharton Social Impact Initiative and Suzanne at Catalyst at Large. The report is called Project Sage. It's the third in our Project Sage series, Project Sage 3.0. It tracks venture capital, private equity, and private debt with a gender lens. So before we dig into what this report found, let's start at the very beginning. Suzanne, you have been a part of this field since it began. Tell us a little bit about what gender lens investing is and when it got its start. Well, Sandy, people have been intentionally investing in women arguably since the 1970s, Um, but this field was really named about 10 years ago. And we're talking about investing intentionally to value gender diversity through looking at products and services with a gender lens, thinking about value chains, supply chains, distribution channels, thinking about leadership and governance, where do you find that in companies, employment, um, and by seeing where you can increase opportunity as an investor or decrease risk by paying attention to gender patterns in any investment. And it's also about where you have gender diversity and fund management. And increasingly, people get that it's intersectional with racial and ethnic diversity. And it plays out both in public markets and private markets. And, um, and of course, if you're thinking about public companies, you're going to be thinking about things like corporate governance and leadership and management and employees and supply chains. If you're thinking about private companies, you're going to be looking at that from a, a very different um, type of numbers, but very similar kinds of attributes. And it's also, it's global. It's a phenomenon that um, spans small amounts of capital all the way to funds that are up over half a billion to a billion dollars. So Sandy, listeners might want to know why and how did Project Sage get started? As many of our listeners may be familiar with, the Wharton Social Impact Initiative has two key priorities. One is training talent to work at the intersection of business and impact, and two is to really build an evidence base and do research at these evolving intersections of business and impact. So when it came to gender lens investing and we saw the growth the field was having, we wanted to make sure that all of the stories that were coming out, all the anecdotes that were coming out about these funds were also joined by the presence of data So what Project Sage aimed to do four years ago when we began and what it still does today is provide a landscape of this structured private equity, venture capital, and private debt. It gives a sense of the size of the field. It gives metrics on uh, what type of investments we're seeing. It gives data on um, the sectors, the SDGs. And so what it really does is just present this rich picture of what the world of gender lens investing looks like today. We do some trend identification and analysis that we'll talk a little bit about throughout this podcast, but really it is a tool that we're proud to put into the world so that people who are interested in gender lens investing can make more informed decisions and do so more effectively. So Suzanne, let's give people some of the big takeaways before we dive into the specifics. If I asked you the one or two big things that you took away from Project Sage 3.0, what would those be? Well, that this is a real market. It's diverse, it's vibrant, it's exciting. 
Um, it's growing significantly. So we'll talk about the numbers in a minute, but just a significant growth from the time that we started publishing in 2017. And it's highly relevant to the investment trends of today's uh, of today and what's needed in the market. Mm-hmm. And it's not just what these funds are investing in, it's how. So, Sandy, same question for back to you. What do you think are the most uh, biggest takeaways of the report? I would say this is a very big umbrella, and there's a ton of opportunity under it, but the um, there's still a big responsibility of the investor to take a look at the specifics and to dig in. So I think what I have consistently been amazed by is how we've mobilized around this field of gender lens investing, how this has become thingified. It has a name. Uh, it has, you know, participating funds and investors using this language, but there's still tremendous diversity in what it means to be a gender lens investor and how you're doing that. And I think that that's a great thing. Um, and that would sort of be my key takeaway as well. There's still, you know, for being as focused as it is today compared to 10 years ago, there's still a ton of diversity happening within gender lens investing. And so, Suzanne, you touched a little bit on the size of this field. I think that's going to be everyone's next question then. So tell us a little bit more about how much money is, you know, in play here. How many funds did the report explore? Um, I know we missed a few, too, the nature of survey research, but paint a picture a little bit for folks who haven't read the report yet. Okay, so we've got 138 funds in the scam, representing $4.8 billion, which have been raised, dollars, euros, pounds, uh, Thai baht. And that is against about $8 billion in capital that is being sought across private equity, venture capital, and private debt funds. And again, as I mentioned, it's across every corner of the globe. Um, and this is up from $1.1 billion with just 58 funds the first year that we published in 2017. So significant growth. And as you know, we missed about 20 funds that could have been in the report. This data is through the end of 2019. Um, and then if we think about the, I, I get notes from people literally every week at this point telling me about a new fund that they're launching. So um, the 2020 data would just, you know, make this whole thing much bigger. But the the size is growing and the diversity is growing and the, the geographic diversity, the range of um, sizes of funds, types of capital that are being deployed is all um, having a significant increase. Sandy, I know you know, one of the questions we always get is when people say they're a fund that has an impact on women or is focused on a gender lens, which women are they talking about? What, what does it even mean? So can you unpack that a little bit? Absolutely. It's a great question and, and touches on my sort of umbrella analogy earlier. So we were curious what these participating funds would say when we asked that question. And so we did outline the sort of five most popular, if you will, um, gender lenses. So advancing women in finance, advancing women in the company leadership, products and services that improve the lives of women, advancing companies that have a positive impact on the women they employ, and um, advancing companies that improve the lives of women on their e- in their ecosystem. So that's like supply chain and things like this. What we were not terribly surprised to find, but, uh, but, but found was that over 50% of funds that we asked checked yes to all five buckets. So this suggests that still a very broad definition when we say positively improves the lives of women. And that's why going back to my earlier point, it really to me is it's great that so much of this activity now has an umbrella to be under and you can start 
um, investigating these funds, taking a look at what you might be interested in, but you really do need to dig in because you're, if you as an investor have a particular passion for, uh, again, a product and service um, fund that's really bringing products and services that are great for women to market, you really want to make sure that you're looking at a fund with that particular definition of gender lens investing. And so we really saw tons of diversity here as we had in past project stages um, under that definition of gender lens investing. I think it's so important for people to just realize that uh, many people assume that we must be talking about women entrepreneurs um, and, you know, at least 60, 70 percent of the funds in the study talked about backing women entrepreneurs, but not exclusively. Um, and that this um, paying attention to where women are as customers, where women are in supply chains, where positive impact on women on social issues that disproportionately affect women, I think is it was really great to get to hear about the diversity of approaches in that area. And um, and as you said, people are going to need to get it, dig into the report to see which funds have which kinds of approaches. And since we know that less than 3% of venture capital in the U.S. and less than 1% in the U.K. where I live um, is going to women, um, there's just such a tremendous need for people to be paying attention to women entrepreneurs. But um, the big win here is to be thinking about this from a much broader perspective. Absolutely. And just to make sure we clarify one of those points you just made, Suzanne, this report not only comes with the takeaways, but a complete table of all these funds. So if folks are interested in learning more or they want to find a fund that really aligns with their priorities for gender lens investing, it's all there. So you can read this report in 30 pages and see the key takeaways, but then you've got 140 pages of specific fund information that if you're interested, you can go and take a look. So Suzanne, you, you referenced there that this, we're not talking exclusively about women entrepreneurs. Certainly that's a part of the mix. Paint a picture of some of the companies that these funds are investing in beyond women as entrepreneurs, because I think you're right. That's very often the first picture that comes to people's mind when we talk about gender lens investing. Well, we asked about um, which sustainable development goals people are focused on. We, we asked about which sectors people are focused on. Um, and we also got to hear about the types of business models and different approaches to how somebody runs a business. Um, and so from healthcare to education, food and ag, um, but also to deep technology, to aging, so what, what some fund managers called silver tech, um, the future of work, the care economy. Um, and we're talking about businesses that are raising, you know, from $50,000 all the way up to uh, $50 million. Um, I loved the interviews that we did. We, we interviewed about 14 fund managers out of the mm -hmm. 138 just to get a little bit more color um, and heard about one that's investing in a testing company that um, has health diagnostic tests of uh, around AIDS, around diabetes, around um, a number of different health issues, and we can all see how valuable that's going to be when you can get a COVID test by mail. Um, online education companies, which are obviously in this moment um, very high on people's minds. Um, we heard a lot about um, access to family planning, access to um, uh, issues that disproportionately are faced by women. Um, so the kinds of products and services that women need, access to menstrual health products. Um, but also um, things like clean ocean technology and mobile computing. And um, there's uh, one that just invested in a company doing uh, 
LIDAR for drones. So I, th I think one of the things that this report really does is it, it busts a lot of myths about the areas that these fund managers are investing in. Let's make sure we touch on the diversity dimension that we, we saw throughout this report, both when it came to racial diversity and LGBTQIA. So talk a little bit about our findings there, Suzanne. Yeah, so we've been asking since the second Project Sage about not only gender, but also racial and ethnic diversity of the fund managers, as well as whether there is a broader diversity lens in the target of the investments of these funds. And I was really excited to see this year that 25% of the funds um, had a broader racial and ethnic diversity lens, um, and 7% had um, an LGBTQIA lens. And um, on the racial and ethnic diversity side, um, I, there's so much more room uh, to go, but to hear and see the funds that are saying, we care about women, but we also in particular care about looking at where black and brown women, where are women who are local indigenous entrepreneurs in the countries that they're in. Um, uh, there is both good news here, uh, which is if somebody's thinking now is the time for me to see where I can find those kind of funds that I can invest in, they're out there. Um, and they're out there from, you know, funds that are raising $10 million to funds that are raising uh, $700 million. Um, and then if uh, the bad news, I think the challenging news is that um, there were a lot of funds in this study that um, had no women of color, uh, no people of color in fund management or on their investment committee um, and didn't talk about racial and ethnic diversity in their in their thesis. Um, so. I think there's, um, as with so many things in this study, you know, a lot to unpack. Um, so, you know, the other thing that I think is interesting is the kind of investors um, that we're seeing in these funds. Um, you know, people think, uh, hey, it's venture capital, private equity. Um, this is only for, you know, big players. Um, and we've got, we're seeing some of the largest banks in some of these funds, um, pension funds, uh, but also high net worth individuals and family offices, foundations, development finance institutions. And also some of these funds have um, investment minimums that are as low as $100 or $500. So it's something that is also about the democratization of access to being able to be an investor. Uh, that's the good news. Um, I think, again, on the challenging side, we heard in the interviews with fund managers um, just how hard it is, especially if they're a first-time fund manager or if they have, if they're raising less than $100 million um, or they don't have the kind of track record that um, big institutional investors are traditionally looking for, how hard it's been. And we know that from other industry um, data that's out there, that the pension funds, the banks, the investment banks are really not getting behind these funds in a big way yet. So again, a lot of room for growth there. So we talked a little bit about why it's exciting to have, and we didn't mention this before, Visa Foundation and Bank of America come in as sponsors of the report. Sandy, why do you think that's significant? Sure. Well, first of all, as you said, just tremendous gratitude to the Visa Foundation and Bank of America coming in to support this work. You know, one, I think it's fantastic that these institutions who are committed to exploring gender lens investing are investing in the research. Um, so it's making sure that not only is it going to happen, but it's going to happen in a very well-informed fashion. Um, but then additionally, I think, you know, these are big names. These are household names. And that signals that this, you know, gender lens investing is not niche. 
um, that it is, you know, mainstream and that it is valued and valuable to, um, to, you know, to some really major players in the space. And I find that tremendously exciting. And I think it's going to have a lot of people paying attention to this in a way that perhaps they weren't before. I agree. And Visa Foundation just made a big commitment that they're um, going to be investing $140 million of their endowment um, in gender lens funds and funds that are really helping small and growing businesses uh, that pay attention to gender. So I think this is another um, area of evidence that they're putting their money where their mouth is. Absolutely. So we've, we've got a couple of minutes left here, and I want to make sure that we give people the so what, as we like to say, um, takeaways that we're hoping this report inspires. You know, from my end, I'm just so delighted that this report is more than a report, that it's a tool uh, for action, whether it is action to have a conversation with your advisor, action to learn more, um, or if you're moving your money, it's a way to do so with a sharper and more informed focus. So I hope, you know, that that's my wish for people is that they can pick this up and download it, read it, and um, be able to take some more action in whatever direction that is for them. Suzanne, what would you say your hopes for, you know, the call to action around this report are? Well, Sandy, given that we heard so much about investing in things like the care economy, in education, in sustainable food systems, in climate and gender, um, in things like, you know, everything from reusable packaging to clean oceans and access to clean water, I really hope that people will see that whatever issue they care about and whatever issue is most salient for them right now. And I think all the things I just mentioned are so salient in this moment of COVID and climate change um, and the economic challenges that we're facing, um, that you can invest this way um, and that there are funds that are structured to be able to do this. And fund managers who have the expertise and the experience to be able to find those um, innovators and leaders and extraordinary companies um, that we need so, so very badly and that are, you know, many of them are undercapitalized for the challenge that that is out there for us right now, that people will see that they'll walk into their investment committees, they'll walk into their boardrooms, they'll walk into their wealth advisors and say, I want to invest this way. And if you don't think there's anything out there for me, here it is. Um, let's go through this together. And let's think about where we can place our capital. Um, I also think that um, and I've heard from people that this is inspiring other fund managers to um, co-invest with them. It's inspiring other fund managers to start new funds um, that have a gender thesis. I think that the fund managers that were willing to share with us the approach that they're taking to how they're investing, not just what they're investing in, um, which is a level of rigor about looking at pipeline, looking in new places, um, building um, communities around uh, the way they're investing is um, is is also inspiring for other people to do the same. Um, and so hopefully this will spark new funds. It will spark more capital into the funds that are there, and it will help people um, really irrefutably say that this is a real market, um, that it is a growing market, and that it has the, again, diversity in every sense of the word um, that's needed to have a rigorous a portfolio that looks at risk and return. Wonderful. Thank you, Suzanne. And as we wrap up our segment, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. Again, the report is Project Sage 3.0. You can find it on our website at the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. It is approachable. We tried to write it so that it was 
quite readable by anyone who is interested. So if you want to spend 20 minutes reading the executive summary, two hours reading the whole report, or two days digging into the tables of funds and reading about each one, it's all there for you. Suzanne, thank you again for your time and sharing this information with our listeners. Thank you, Sandy. Dollars and Change is brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. To learn more, visit us at socialimpact.wharton.upenn.edu.